0: Hello and welcome to Downtown Dialogues, Theatrical Outfits' brand new podcast that explores the themes and questions behind our work. I'm Matt Torney, Theatrical Outfits' artistic director, and I'm recording this today at our offices right in the heart of downtown Atlanta. Today's episode features a panel discussion hosted by the wonderful Gail O'Neill that was recorded immediately following a reading of Flex by Kandris Jones. We broadcast the reading live to our subscribers and patrons on Thursday, October the 8th, 2020. And immediately afterwards, Gail jumped into a fascinating discussion with an amazing panel. Flex tells the story of Lady Train, a high school girls basketball team in plain old Arkansas in the 90s. The place focused at this very particular moment in history where the WNBA has arrived and these young female athletes have the chance to go pro. Uh, Candris has a marvellous quote about writing the play that I'll share with you now. I wrote Flex because I wanted to celebrate young African-American women while creating a nostalgic snapshot of the 90s. Flex captures the introduction of hope into an environment that sometimes feels depleted of opportunity. The narrative covers so many issues. Poverty, sexuality, and freedom of choice are all major themes. Still, the relationships the lady train share is the ultimate catalyst that moves the narrative forward. As it stands, Flex is a brutally honest love letter to women of the American South, and that's exactly how I want it to be received. Gail assembled an incredible panel for the discussion. Uh, the playwright, Candris, joined her alongside the Reading's director, Tanashe Kajese Bolden. They were joined by Rose Scott, who's host of WABE's Closer Look and also a former sports radio show host. And finally, Keisha Brown, WNBA veteran and varsity basketball coach at the Galloway School. I will let Gail take it from here. Enjoy!
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Gail O'Neill. Thank you so much for sticking around for the post show conversation. I'm going to get right to it. We have the playwright, Candrice Jones, who wrote Flex for us tonight. Hey, Candrice. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> we have the director of the play, Tinashe Kajize Bolden, Atlanta's own. Hey, I love the hair game with you ladies tonight. Hey. <laughs> Rose Scott, who many of our Atlanta uh, listeners know from WABE is with us as well. But what some of you might not know is that Rose used to host a drive time sports radio program and also got her stage name from Stuart Scott. She can tell us that story at some point during the evening. And finally, we have Sydney Brown. Sydney is a former, a veteran of the WNBA. Sydney is the athletic director and basketball coach at the Galloway School and audiences may also know her from ESPN, Fox Sports South, as a color commentator. Greetings lady, you guys are my dream team.
2: (laughs) Keisha
3: Brown. Keisha Brown.
1: Keisha Brown, sorry. Um, it's all right. Tinashe, I want to start with you. I have to give it up to your young actresses for their poise. When we had that little bit of a technical difficulty and they just (laughs) rolled with it and then they started dancing, they really seemed to enjoy one another's company. Tell me about your process of working with them. I'm guessing you were all remote for the entire rehearsal process?
4: Yes, we were. and went, I love that you phrased it the entire rehearsal process because it's only been 24 hours what (laughs) when we're used to a process where we can rehearse for three weeks and then tech for a week and then do another week of previews you know all of that is um pushed into this tiny uh let's get to know each other really really fast and get familiar with this text really really quickly and um The way that that is successful is when you have the gift of this really strong blueprint, right? So you can scaffold the architecture that you want off of a direction that is so clear that Candice just does in such a poetic, athletic way um, so that we can rise to the moment using our sharpest instinct. And her work just demands that of us. And so the process really was just coming together yesterday and reading the play so we could hear it outside of our heads and then going back through the play and just as anthropologically as we had time for just kind of trying, you know, pulling back what's the layer and what is in the belly of the text? Who are these young girls? What are their relationships? What do they need? Um, What is their quest? And, um, Because if we can just burrow down and find the heart of it, the why of it, the what of it will deal with itself later, you know, and especially when you're racing against time. It's really about trying to build those relationships so that when things like this might happen that is out of our control, we stay in it because we've not finished telling our story and we want so badly to finish telling our story. All
1: right. So speaking of heart and story, Candris, did I butcher your name earlier? Is it Candris or Candris? Candris. Candris. OK, got that. Yeah. You have been quoted as saying flex is a brutally honest love letter to women of the American South. That's exactly how I want it to be received. So tell me what it is you want us to receive. And then I'm also curious to know when is the first time a love letter? In other words, a work of art touched you and made you know that the, the author wanted to reach you and had something to say to you, a love letter for you. Wow.
5: <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, as far as me writing Flex is a brutally honest love letter to the women of the South, specifically um, the Delta, the Arkansas Delta, I wanted it to um, reflect the types of stories that are about our lives with compassion Without trying to make it too pretty or too mainstream, um, I wanted women who are from the area of the country that I'm from to be able to relate and see themselves. Um, we don't see ourselves very often. We, you know, um, so it it was really it's really important to me to for this story. In any story that I tell, that's based in Southeast Arkansas, to be very specific, as far as the geography, as far as the language, and as far as the way we build relationships with one another, and how you know we deal with conflict, which I I hope that I captured um, in Flex, you know. So that's what I meant by you know writing a love letter, just you know, I, whenever I write, I'm always telling myself to tell the truth, tell the truth, tell the the truth. And hopefully that will propel the story forward. So yeah, just being truthful to, you know, all those aspects that I just spoke about. Um, The first time I feel like I, wow, I can't even think. I know. (laughs) Probably the first time I felt as though I read something that was um, a love letter to me may have been not necessarily the first time I saw, um, I'd seen the movie, I don't know how many times, but honestly, the first time I read the color purple, (laughs) um, it was such a, um, you know, like I said, I'm from Arkansas. The Color purple, purple is based in Mississippi. And that was the first time I, as a reader, really felt like um, I heard those voices reflected in language, like in a very specific way. So, yeah, that, that was like, yeah. And I don't know how old I was the first time I read The Color Purple. I was pretty young, but yeah. <laughs>
1: That's beautiful. You're saying that I just want to remind our audience that we want to involve you all in the conversation. So if you have any questions, any comments, anything you want to add, please feel free to put them in the comment section. I can't read that far away, but my technical people will be texting me all of that information. Rose, I want to hear from you. What resonated with you in the story? What's your takeaway?
3: Oh man, I'm I'm interested. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. And I'm really interested in hearing what Keisha has to say too, because I grew up playing basketball. Keisha grew up playing basketball and I ran track. And every one of those characters, every one of those ladies, we all had somebody on the team that was a Stara, (laughs) that was a Donna, that was, you know, was an April. And then, you know, Star is like, no, I look, I'd have made Star walk home. Uh, After losing that game, she wasn't getting on that bus. But, no, it was, you know, we grew up with girls like that, right, Keisha? We played ball with girls like that. We played ball. When you grow up playing ball, um, and particularly, and I'm not going to put Keisha's age out here, but, you know, we come up in an era where, you know, you yeah, you want to play for maybe North Carolina or or Tennessee or Georgia or La Tech. But then after that, that was it. Maybe you go overseas or or maybe play in the Olympics. So we didn't have that professional level to aspire to. So it's really, it was kind of, it was great to kind of go back, you know, to that 90s, even though I was a little bit older than where they were. But I I know that feeling. I know that feeling of like, oh man, if I play ball in college or I ran track, it's going to probably end right then and there, you know, that's going to be it. And so you have all these dreams and now you think about how far we've come. And little girls, you know, since the WNBA and even before the WNBA, because I covered the ABL and Keisha, I know remembers ABL. There was and there was even women's leagues before then, but they never panned out. So when you have little girls that, that can dream big because they see big girls on court doing what they're doing, that you know, that's something that for a lot of us we didn't have when we were their age. So to go back and kind of see that and, and and understand where they were, I understand where each one of those players where in their lives at that time, and how yeah. basketball was important for them. So I played with all of those, all of those girls. Now me and me and Star have had some some conversations, <laughs> but I played with all of them.
2: Keisha, um, well, you know, the first thing that as I was reading a little bit of it and then being able to hear it, it was more or less like the backstory. And that one commonality that probably would have never brought these girls together was basketball. And and that's how a lot of long lasting friendships and relationships happen is because you have one thing that is so dear to you as an individual that become a commonality for everybody around, you know, and for me, I didn't have, I don't have blood sisters. I have, I have, we call them second sisters, but I, I don't have blood sisters. So my opportunity for sisterhood was within my teammates playing basketball. So I just relished those moments. And I I saw the way that the five of them interacted. You know, I had a core group of about four girls, myself, that we grew up from the age of eight all the way up until the age of 16, um, playing AAU basketball together, competing against each other in high school, but always coming back to basketball and then playing in the summertime. So it was always that commonality and that expectancy, Whereas, like, after all this is over, I know I'm going to fall back on my foundation with, you know, that core group. And so when you have that core group that, you know, just was in this show, you're going to have that animosity, you know? And, and I was I was uh, a target of that animosity when, when it happens because you have people and you don't really know. When you're 15 to 16 years old, you know what dreams are, but you don't think anybody else has the same dream that you have. You just know you. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, having a girl... <laughs> Uh, put a hole in the condom, like all those things just, you you know, very similar with examples of how when she can't take the only scholarship in America that's available. And that's probably how she felt that Mm that was the only scholarship in America or her only dream. And how dare you have the same dream that I have. Mm -hmm. So I think for me, it resonated more with the commonality of just basketball, bringing all of them together, and then just hearing their backstories one by one.
1: Tinashe, were you a basketball fan or are you a basketball fan before having taken on this project? Because I am not. And so I was wondering, what's flex? What are all these? I was confused. And so it was good to see it and to hear it and to feel it more. But I felt like I was missing out on a lot as a
4: non-insider. So are you an insider when it comes to balling? you know what and this is what is so great about the play is that you can have these different perspectives of this journey right i was not blessed with the vertical um prowess that these three (laughs) ladies clearly have right i'm a little closer to the earth and so basketball was not my sport i was in swimming Um, and i grew up in zimbabwe and kenya so we played netball but what i did absolutely um, gravitate towards was that sense of community and that sense of um, hope and that and the tension of the competition too, right? Like I wanna get ahead, but I can't do it without them. And I think no matter where, it does sit very uniquely in the world of sports, right? That really does play so clearly um, behind in front of that metaphor, but it is still so fundamentally, um, I think, a, a, a female story and more specifically, a Black female story of clarifying our identity, knowing who we are, but knowing that it's with whom we are that we get ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what was just so exciting. And I will say, too, that my in, where my heart raced with excitement and joy is because of the place that Candice chose to press play in the story. Cause she presses play in the story when we're meeting them when they're already they're already hoping for a better life. Mm-hmm. This isn't the structure of let's meet these down and out poor black girls from the south as they figure out that the it's the strength inside of them and that no we've done that they already know who the hell they are, and so we mm-hmm. get to be part of that rush um, and sprint towards what could be, um, and and I love I I just love that so I could fantasize that I was also a player.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Candress, I'm curious about Star. She is hyper-competitive and not always the easiest character to empathize with. Did you have empathy for her? Did you love her? Did you sometimes wanna smack her or tell her you're walking home like Rose was texting me as we were watching (laughs) and texting back and forth? What was your, what is your relationship with Star?
5: I absolutely love Star. Um, but there were times that I wanted to, like, I, well, there came a point where I, where I, um, found myself having to say, okay, at some point I have to make Star pay for what she did. Um, when, when I, when I created these characters, I created them all out of love and, um, they, and they do remind me of some of my old teammates. Um, Star, for example, has the ego of one of my closest friends. <laughs> so um, she wouldn't have done anything like Star had done, but um, their, their egos are right there. Um, so I, I absolutely like love every one of those characters um, and to the point where, again, where it came to making Star's, creating her redemption narrative. Um I I really had to struggle with making her realize or how to make her realize what she had the extent to what she had done. So yeah, um I I have love for all those characters.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and that narrative was strong because Star didn't do you pronounce your name Star or Stara? Because it's written S-T-A-R-R-A. Uh, Star
5: it, it's pronounced Stara, but like if someone from my hometown, his name Staro. We just say
1: Star. <laughs> okay, um, forget where I was going with the question. Uh, well, truly, Keisha, I wanted to ask you, as a coach, how do you help players walk that fine line? You don't want to shave down their ambition in that killer instinct because you're not making it to the WNBA or anything of value if you don't have that that ambition and that drive to succeed you know, by any means necessary. And wouldn't we have been as hard on Star had she been a boy doing whatever
2: it takes to to advance to the next level? Well, that fine line between uh, cocky and confidence, it rides for all athletes that are highly competitive and highly motivated. Um, You know, so even with a couple of kids that I currently have, um, one that just signed a that will sign a letter of intent to go to a D1 school. Um, she's also coming off of an injury. And so, you know, someone like that, that is highly competitive within her own self is very self-motivated and wants to come back as 2.0. Um, you know, it's it, it, we got to chisel some bricks away right now because, because don't, <laughs> don't forget the team. Don't forget the team in your process of you coming back. It's not about you. It's, it's still about the other girls that help you get to where you are as you help them get to where they need to be. And so, you know, I've actually had to do a little bit of that in my, my, uh, present life right now, just kind of tearing away some bricks. But I think that that's a good thing. It'd be different if she didn't have any confidence that that's where you go, okay, where am I going to find the confidence to get this kid back on the court? Um, I'm dealing with the reverse. I'm like, she wants to be on the court. Now she just got to chisel away to make sure that she stays humble in her approach because it could be taken away at any point in time. Um, so that, that part is fine. I don't think that I would um, change who I am if I am coaching boys or girls. Um, I've always considered sports a neutrality that there is no gender as soon as you step on the court or on the field. Um, especially in basketball, because we can we can interlink so much. and Play against the guys, and the guys can play against us because it makes the women better as a whole. And so I don't think that I would change my approach any one bit. The only approach that that I try to differ to is the personalities of the kids that I am talking to. Um, you have some kids that they don't they 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 need the punchline, and then you have some kids that need a little foreplay. And so that's where you have to differ, differ in the personalities and how you, you kind of guide these kids to their next level because they see the now. That's the biggest thing with kids these days is like they see the now and they want the now. And when you're trying to give them the long wheel, they don't understand the long wheel, so they don't really care. Like, i am drop 30, I'ma drop 30, okay? Right. But then when you don't drop 30 and you mm-hmm. only get eight on a state championship team, like your life is caving in, you know? And, and so a lot of that is just keeping them level the whole entire time. And it's like, when and if you do drop 30 on a state championship team or somebody, a team of high caliber, then, you know, we can move along. But let's just be honest, you dropping 30 on a middle school team that's a high school team, like we really ain't not done anything here. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of it is just about the personalities that, that you know, you kind of intertwine yourself. And, and kids, will they will gather, they'll, they'll come and they'll want to talk and they'll want to hear experiences that, um, you know, that I have. They want to hear those experiences. And then you have you have some kids that say, you know, your experiences mean nothing to me. I mean, I'm 41. I don't care. I, I'll tell you my age. I'm 41. Um, I retired playing professional basketball when I was 33, but I retired because, quite honestly, I was bored. I felt like there was nothing else left for me to do. Um, and I got tired of traveling every year living out of three suitcases in another country for seven to eight months out of the year. And I knew that I am, my vessel right now is better served somewhere else. So I could have easily played physically three to four more years, but I just chose not to because my light was dimming out and I didn't want to sit on the bench for, absolutely no reason at all giving no help whatsoever when I know that my vessel can be served somewhere else. Right,
1: Rose, when, when Keisha talks about her vessel, I'm thinking about her as a coach and this moral center for the team and also a role model for young girls. Was it surprising to you that April didn't go to coach when she felt she was all alone, that no one understood that she was at a crossroads and lost?
3: No, it doesn't surprise me. Let's think back to when we were at that age, you know, and something dealing with something like that, you know, sometimes you more you may go to your friend, your very close friend before you go to an adult. And then sometimes you may go to your coach to things that you don't go to your parents about.
0: Right. And
3: often you don't go to your parents about a whole lot of stuff because you don't want to hear what they have to say. You know, let's think back to when we were that age. y'all. I mean, coupled with the 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 hormones and things are changing in, in our bodies and we're playing sports and you know there was there's still always I'm not a teenager now but there's still always been this stigma like okay which girl play ball which girls you know in the hood in our neighborhood play ball these are girls that do this these are girls that do that you know so you're still trying to find out where you fit in you know and like Keisha said yeah ball is that thing that brought us all together even in that when you peel back that you, you dissect even in within that subgroup, we're dealing with so much at that age already, just who we are about our bodies. Our bodies are all different. Our, we might be dealing with our own sexual preferences, all this stuff. Look, when you 15, 16, 17, it's a lot going on. You don't know. Yeah. You, you don't know what's happening. So and it no, feels always, like,
2: you like double dead. down with social media on that. And, oh my and, God. Um, <laughs>
3: Yeah. Think about if we had Twitter and when we were sophomores and we had Twitter. Oh my goodness! Or Instagram. I wouldn't have made it through school. The distraction right. alone no. would have
1: just had me kicked out. Tinashe, no. it seemed like you wanted to say something about one of Rose's points just now. Well, and
4: I, I, yeah, I mean, I just, I, I love the the point of it too. That it, it was everything feels like life and death too. So mm-hmm. every single moment is the biggest, most monumental moment that could happen until the next biggest moment happens. And so it's like they're going from Greek tragedy to Greek tragedy to Greek tragedy, you know, and they have all this undercurrent of hormones happening. And I I think that that is the thing that even in the rehearsal process, reminding these actresses, even though they are closer to that age than I am, they forget because they have the filter of college and life experience. It's like, y'all acting too grown. There is a there there is some irrationality that happens here. There's they are teen teenagers, they're impulsive, you know, they, they need to feel everything. And I think that is part of the 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 roller coaster ride of this story. Um having it set amongst these teens and not a college team, you know, but a high school team makes it that much more dangerous and um you know anything could happen.
3: Yeah.
4: Kendris, what would you
1: like to say to or about the cast and the performance we just saw, hearing your words um, animated by these beautiful young women?
5: Um, I am so extremely proud of them, um, how much thought and heart they put into the reading. Um, like Tanasha said, we only had, what, less than 24 hours, it, it seemed like, and they um, came into the room yesterday and like, I saw total transformations. (laughs) Um, It's absolutely amazing um, when you see, when you start at a process and then a day later, you get this, you know, beautiful product. And it's, it's just the, the transition that happens is really amazing. And, you know, I know I worked on the play. I know how long I worked on the play or whatever, but you know, when you have a talented cast that can do what they did and bring as much of their, the heart that they did into the play is always really, I'm I'm grateful.
1: Rose, was there a character that, um, I, I don't want to say who was your favorite, but who just touched you in some way?
3: You know, it's funny because you already told everybody we were texting each other as we were watching this, like 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 we were teenagers. Um, I saw a, a lot of I saw a little bit of me in in Donna. I think Donna is is kind of a natural born leader in a sense, and 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 then I saw a, a little bit of me in Sharice, who still was at that age trying to figure out what what's it all about. Who am I going to be? Um, and at the same time, still you know maybe struggling with some some in, internal. Uh, Strife so yeah those two I really um, I saw a lot of me in 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 them and then uh, I could really resonate just with all of them as a collective like Keisha was talking about because I had a core group of friends like that too you know so that was and that brought back a lot of memories it makes me want to like go call all of them and say you know I was watching <laughs> this play and um, so yeah um, but I would say um, Donna and and, and Sheree, yeah.
1: And same question for you, Keisha, and then also as a coach, how do you balance? I know parents are not allowed to say, I don't have a favorite child, but we all kind of know they do. And I imagine as a coach, there are some kids who just get to you in a way where you tell me
2: about that, those relationships. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I think that probably I resonate a good bit with uh, Sydney. Um, But I'd also like to say that humility that April just kind of had with her whole situation um I thought that was really cool like I've, I've had people come up to me and talk about when I played basketball in high school and I have no idea what I look like when I played basketball in high school but from what I hear and understand I was a badass and I didn't I, I I'm like that's cool great I'm glad you feel that way you know and I, I just don't know and it it uh it just had an epiphany with you know my dad when I was telling my dad about this, this was probably about a year ago we were kind of rehashing the past and he turned around he's watching TV and he turned around looked at me and he was like girl you was something special wow and and you know my dad he ain't giving a lot of compliments out but so when you when you you hear those nuggets you kind of take it and you're like well dang okay I guess I was you know maybe before my time and. What not? But I mean, you know, you just don't know. Like, I'm in high school. I transferred from a predominantly black school to a predominantly white private school. And Mm. it was just because it was just, I needed to do it. Like, the high school that I was at prior to going to my um, private school, we had three homicides and three suicides. And so, you know, supposedly somebody was coming after me. I mean, God's been on my side the whole way. Supposedly somebody was coming after me after a game. And so we needed to make the move and from that point on we went 62 and 0 my junior and senior year in high school um you know but it was just i was just playing basketball and being a 16 17 year old kid like i didn't know anything else that's just what i did and so um you know just just hearing that from him it just makes you kind of think about when i am in this space where i am right now where I can pour into these kids and give back to, you know, coach Waller for me, coach Banks for me, my high school coaches that a lot of these meetings that I have to be in with coaches, I do not want to be in. I have no interest. I have no interest in what they're talking about. I I just don't because to me in my mind, I feel like there is personal motivation to the coaches where I, I don't want anything out of this. I want my kids to get their just due. And so I think that the relationship that I build with each and every one of my kids that I have, and even the ones that I'll train here and there, just be honest with yourself. You know, and I think that's like the biggest thing. If, you, if you're if you gonna struggle, like, let's, let's go ahead and struggle together so we can get through this together. If you know your jump shot is broke, I need you to admit that your jump shot is broke, and then we can find ways to fix your jump shot. But, you know, and, and you know, for, for one of my kids, literally her saying that she needs to work on her shot. Okay. We can get there. Yeah. But you sitting here saying that, you know, <laughs> you're doing this and that. And then I just show you your stats and you shooting 20% from front of field. It's okay. Tell me what we missing here. And so, you know, my, my conversations with my kids are a little bit more candid and a little more honest. And I say that because kids want to be grown right now. Mm-hmm. Hey, they, it's that, it's that microwave. They want it hot and fast. So if you want to sit down and have the conversation <laughs> with me, let's go ahead and have it. <laughs> Keisha, this is the second time you said kids today. You're too young to be talking like that.
1: When have kids ever not wanted it hot and fast? When have they ever not thought they had all the answers?
2: Uh, I, I mean, again, I don't know. I think my childhood <laughs> was a blur because all I did was
1: poop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Andrew, <laughs> I felt that you, are you a Judy Bloom fan? Because there's one scene when, um... Sharice is praying and she says exactly dear talking. God, it's me, it's me. Sharice, I thought this is like, dear God, it's me, Margaret. Yeah. Yeah.
5: My mother gave me that book, and I wondered, excuse me, why the hell did my mother give me that book? But I never forgot it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, when I thought about Sharice, you know, I thought, okay, Sharice is the kind of girl who would read that Judy Bloom book and actually like it <laughs> so yeah you didn't like Judy bloom i didn't like that book in particular <laughs> okay so, <laughs> I'm not bloom, she's amazing but and then onto, <laughs> go ahead sorry but no you're good no but no i i did read that book and it didn't appeal to me but it did i think you know sharice in real life it would definitely appeal to her
1: yeah I wondered about the other pop culture reference, Star Jones, was your Star Jones named after Lee Star Jones from The View? <laughs> um, no, it just
5: ha- kind of happened that way. Um, I wanted the name of somebody who was like a star and I was like, oh, star. And then okay. Jones just, I don't, maybe I just took it from my last name. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, but happy coincidence.
1: Tinashe, what did it mean when the girls hit the bird or the bird hit the car and April refused to leave that bird on the road?
4: Why was that so important to her? Well, she was just confronted with having um, the power of life and death in her hands, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and this journey that she is on and she is going towards. um, I talked with the girls about how for me so much of the story is about redemption either the effort to save yourself or save someone else. And for April, the perception was that she was doing this act to save her career, to save her ego, to save her reputation, to save her spot on the the team. But truly her act was to save her child. Her act was to, it was the ultimate act of protection to not bring her baby into this toxic, dangerous environment. And so the hitting of the vulture, this creature that apparently feeds off of us, that feeds off of our very waste, right? But hitting it, it becomes a vulnerable thing. And for April, what I saw, and I think that Kiara, the actress, just so powerfully captured and was so vulnerable and present and giving and generous of her performance, um, that she really channeled that tension of adolescence, not really knowing that she's dealing with these really grown-up things, and she is she is trying to do the best she can with what she has mm-hmm. and the knowledge that she has. And so I, it's it. It was just again. I just I am the director who is like, look, if you give me a good blueprint, we can make magic happen. And mm-hmm. when you have that, when you have that in the play, you just create jazz off of it.
1: And do you see that at first sight, or does it have to dawn on you slowly?
4: You feel the, the yeah, no, you feel the structure because you 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 feel the rhythm of it. And especially when when someone is writing a play that so perfectly is married with its theme, like just if any of you get an opportunity to see her script, she can just defies Western script writing, right? Like dramaturgically it is written in a way that plays the court, literally it goes, you know, she writes dialogue in a way that an actor looks at it, has to reframe how you learn your lines, has to reframe the way you read a play And that immediately unlocks a lot of the barriers that we of people of color have put on ourselves because we've learned a very Western way of telling story. Mm -hmm. And so what it does is it unlocks far more um, uh, horizon for us so that we can play as opposed to being a vertical way that I feel a lot of Western plays deal with. It just busts that open and we are given real estate to execute stories in a way that um, I think you're gonna see a wave of storytelling coming out of this pandemic and these multiple um, pandemics that, are, that we are dealing with. I think we're gonna start seeing these new voices emerge because those shackles are being taken off.
1: Right. Beautifully put. Do any of you have questions for anyone on the panel? It's such a rich collective of women and experience and knowledge.
4: Uh, I just I'm just fanning out
1: because
2: I
4: mean <laughs> seeing Keisha Brown and Rose Scott, I listen to you every morning. Every every day. I mean, I'm I'm just I'm just fanning out. So thank you.
3: For, I, for I um here. you know for Candress, for I think it's a wonderful story. I think it's a great coming of age story. It's kinda like I want it to be on, on one of the streaming platforms so I can, you know, go and watch it every every week or whatever, how many episodes you have. I feel like I wanna I wanna know more about these ladies, you know, I wanna dig into their lives every I wanna be nosy. You know, well, I'm a journalist, so I wanna be nosy. Um mm-hmm. it's just uh I think the characters are, are carefully crafted and and although I was picking on on Star a little bit, you know, I also I also know that she she is she's looking for warmth too, you know, um, you know, that whole that whole thing about it takes a village to raise a child. But we also know that uh, a child that's not loved will burn the village down to fill its warmth. So, you know, mm-hmm. star is looking for something. And, and as someone who's worked with kids for pretty much all of my life as a mentor, you know, I also want to I want to be there for her. I want to say you, you can't come to someone mom may not be here, but we have, you have your aunties and your sisters. Right. We have someone here for you. So I kind of want to, you know, I want her to, to grow and to trust people because that star has some trust issues Right. and, hmm. and that's tough to get over. You know, vulnerability is something particularly with a lot of athletes and, and a lot of high caliber athletes who are just better than everybody else. Vulnerability is something they don't want to deal with at all. It's and anathema
1: so, to what you're, you're supposed to be this superhero. You can't show yeah. vulnerability, you can't show weakness. Listen For to some, me like yeah. I know what it's like to be an athlete. Look at you, look at you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Speaking of which, Candice, what does flex mean? I texted Rose saying, I've been looking in urban dictionary, I've been looking up acronyms. <laughs> is that a term that to, you made I, up or is that I a real basketball a term?
3: I was like, it's an offense in basketball. And she was like... <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> all right let me let me somebody um aliyah comments regarding the color purple this is for you Candris. seeing seeley and suge a bit in sharice and donna that's very interesting has anyone said that to you before never <laughs> what a compliment and then we have a question for this is for the whole for all of you thoughts on inequity of pay scale in men's sports versus women's
2: Oh God.
3: Oh goodness. Y'all How y'all got we hours?
1: <laughs> Who said oh God? I look down. Whoever said that, you go, Margaret. <laughs> Who said oh God? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, go. You it's, got the floor.
2: It, it, it's a it's a it's a it's gonna be a never-ending conversation. Um my my line to that comment or question is you have to think that the W that the NBA has been in session over 60 years. And when they started, they weren't making the chips that they're making right now. The WNBA is now in its 27th or 28th year. I want to say maybe a little bit further along. Um, And obviously this year was the biggest jolt of momentum that we've had in women's sports period. Um, up until then, it was female tennis players that were on the same platform with, with their men counterparts. Tennis was the only sport that was like that. And so, you know, it's it's one of those things, that I think, just with culture, unfortunately. People would just rather go see, in terms of basketball, high-flying dunks and no defense um, than watch the purity of basketball. And, and, and to a degree, that's why I think why um, – Collegiate athletics is is a big moneymaker and they, they struggle when collegiate athletics, as you can see, wasn't on TV this year when March Madness uh, didn't happen. And the amount of money that the NCAA lost, um, I don't I don't know what the the, w, the NBA had made or I'm sure they lost when they got into the bubble this year. Um, but I don't think that the tuning in was as grand as it, it could have been given fans in the stands. And so I I just think, unfortunately, it's a culture thing. If you travel overseas, you're going to get the same equity and the same inclusion at a women's game as you get in a men's game. And it's because they've had, yes, and it's because they have had women's basketball in Europe longer than they've had women's basketball in the United States. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you will get arenas that are much smaller than the arenas that we play in now. Um, which is expected, you might get an arena and it only fills 5,000. But of, of that 5,000, you've got a club that support both men and the women with the same bank account. Mm-hmm. And they're able to have the same facilities and do the same things. And so it's just it's just a little bit more respect in Europe just because, and in China and all over, just because women's basketball has been alive a lot longer over there than it has in the States. I had no
1: idea, uh, Tanase. I'm curious about Coach. We got to give Coach uh, Pace her props. She sounded right. like Lynn Whitfield to me.
4: Kind of looked like Lynn Whitfield to me. Is she related <laughs> to Lynn Whitfield? The, uh, um, April Parker Jones is the actress. No, she's she's an incredibly talented TV and film actress. Um, actually, one of the the leads on uh, the Tyler Perry Show. Um, oh, now I'm forgetting which one it is. Oh dear, yeah, what's it? you was wrong. Yeah, they... loving you is wrong. That's right. Um oh, yeah. and does a lot of TV and film. And but but I've I've noticed since New York days in theater. Um, and just just a good all around person. And and she was a basketball player. Um and she's she's from North Carolina. And I just thought it was so wonderful to try to have, you know, we really wanted to use actresses that were here in Atlanta and use and support our local talent. We could call anybody from across the nation. you've got to have an internet connection. But I think it's so important that when we're creating art and stories about ourselves, that we truly lead into our own local ecosystem um, as we are telling those stories. Um, so it was just a gift to have her.
1: Andres. I imagine that seeing your plays enacted by humans must be like an artist having a retrospective where you get to look back, you can see, you can discover things in the work that you maybe didn't even know was there when you were writing it. Has that been the experience for you? Were there any discoveries for you tonight or any reconsiderations?
5: Every time I hear this story out loud, um, yeah, I discover something new. I wanna change something. Um, today we we did end up changing something in in the script, and I think it made the script better. Um, so it happens every time, and it will probably keep happening until the play is published. <laughs> so yeah, it is. I, I think you know until somebody actually takes the pen or the typewriter or keyboard out of my hand, it will change every time.
1: Yeah. I've heard many painters say the exact same thing. They know the painting is done when their gallerist comes and just takes the paintbrush and like, that's it. no (laughs) more. Anybody have any closing comments? We're just about an hour. Let me just check my text messages and see if Gretchen has texted me any other questions. Uh, Oh, okay. Keisha, have you ever known a player as hyper competitive as Star who would tear down another player to get ahead? I'm guessing the answer is yes.
2: <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's for me personally, no. Um, I don't think that when we played high school or college, like we were built that way. Um, so I can't say from personal experience that, you know, I've had somebody like come after me, but yeah, you always think that it's that one scholarship in the nation and it's you're head to head with another competitor that you're friends with, and you have two scouts in the stands. And between the two of those schools, only one scholarship is available, you know? And, and that's kind of the mentality that happens sometimes. Um, but I just, I don't think I've, I can remember a player that was just do whatever they can do, you know? Today it's Twitter, it's Instagram, it's TikTok, it's Facebook you know, it's all those where, you know how it is, people have filmed, I know you guys can agree with this, like, people have filmed 10 or 12 times over to get that one perfect shot. And then you put it on social media. And to these 13, 14, 15 year old brains, they think that she does that all the time. And it's not the case. But, you know, you light it up and you do everything you dress it up and you put it on twitter for that 15 or 20 seconds then they think that that's what's going to take for a coach to be able to look at you and say oh i want this kid and so you know you have to be very sensitive to that because it filters to the parents and then the parents start thinking that way in in this world because everything right now is built off of social media mm-hmm. and you know it's it's a. Uh, it's a, it's a hard demon, but it can also be like your biggest angel in the skies if you ever do with social media. But it's just predicated on how you use it and how you think upon it.
1: Yeah. yeah. To that point, I urge everyone, especially if you have children watching now, to watch The Social Dilemma on Netflix. Yes. You've seen it, Tinashe? Yeah. Especially yes. if you have children, this is required viewing. I'm a hugger, so it's killing me that I can't give all of you a big hug and a welcome to Atlanta to you, Candice. But thank you for gracing us with your presence. Tinashe, you just continue to inspire and shock me with all of your multi-talents, pulling things out of tricks out of the bag. You are still my favorite actress for that one moment in Disgrace when your eyes tracked Isaac, when you realized he cheated on you. I'm just like, how did she do that? Keisha, you are a baller par excellence. It's so nice to meet you here. And Rose Peaches, as I call you, you know I love you. Thank you so much for being here tonight.
2: <laughs> thank you ladies for having me on. I appreciate it. And thank it. you thank audience you. for joining us tonight for it these Downtown Dialogues.
1: Come back and join us later on this month to talk about Eureka Day. All right. Thank Bye, everyone. You. Go vote. Bye, Go vote. Yes. yes. Go vote. <laughs> vote.
5: Vote. Go vote, yes. <laughs> Plan your vote. <laughs> <laughs> All right.